0: Let's begin with prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for another Sunday to gather together with the family of God, your beloved sons and daughters, that we might bring honor and glory to your holy name, that we might encourage one another, that we might together open up the scriptures and find the truth so that our minds would be changed, so that our thinking would be changed, that we would understand your ways better and that we might grow in grace. And so we commit this Sunday to you and this study of 2 Corinthians in Jesus' name. Oh, yes, and Lord, we pray for the saints, the scattered saints around the world who listen. Lord, bless them and be with them and help them find fellowship, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, 2 Corinthians 8, starting with verse one, 8, 1 through 8.1-9.15 is about the collection for the saints. Paul was collecting money from the churches in at this point in Greece, what we now call Greece, in order to help the saints in Jerusalem who were poverty-stricken. And in the course of doing this, he reveals some things about giving and what God expects of Christians and how God works in the lives of Christians. And... Interestingly, the most important key word, theological word, that's repeated in 2 Corinthians 8 and 2 Corinthians 9 is the word grace. It's there more often in the Greek than what you see in the New American Standard. So, let me read verse 1. It says, Now, brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God which has been given in the churches of Macedonia. Now that word "charis" grace is found in verse, also found in verse four, where it says, "begging us with much urging for the favor." That word there in the Greek is actually "charis" grace. It's in verse seven, in verse nine, in verse sixteen, in verse nineteen. So the key thing that we want to know about giving is grace. Grace is what is. At at work that causes Christians to become generous in their giving. Now, when Paul's talking about Macedonia and Achaia, he's talking about two parts of what we call Greece. The northern part is Macedonia, the southern part is Achaia. Corinth was in Achaia. The churches in Macedonia that he's talking about here are. Probably, he doesn't mention them by name, but we know the churches that are mentioned in in Acts that would be in Macedonia would be the church of Philippi, the church of Thessalonica, and the church of Berea. Now, from what we know about these churches from other material in the epistles and in Acts, these were three churches that had a lot going for them. You know, the Bereans were the ones that searched the Scriptures daily to see whether the things that Paul said were true. They were, noble, they were called noble-minded. The Bereans were a quality church, so much so we use the term Berean now to mean someone who loves the truth and someone who's willing to search the Scriptures. So their, their town became into, came into the English language in that way. The Thessalonian church, was one that had been under intense persecution. Some of the most violent persecution against Paul and his message and ongoing persecution happened in the city of Thessalonica. In fact, they they persecuted the Christians, and then after Paul left there and went to Berea, they came from Thessalonica to try to persecute in, in Berea as well. But yet there was a quality church there that... Was a very commendable church and then you have philippi where lydia the seller of purple was an instrumental person at the beginning of that church and when paul went there and in the philippians if you read that epistle you see again one that paul rejoiced over a church that was generous a church that had sent this epaphroditus from on a dangerous journey risking his own well-being in order to bring a gift to imprisoned paul so here we have three churches, all of which suffered some level of persecution, and they had received grace. So back to our passage, now, brethren, we wish to make known to you. When, when Paul uses that phrase, we wish to make known to you, that generally is how he signals a change in topic. So now we're into a new topic. And it's the the matter of this offering and this um, grace that causes generosity. So let me read verse 2 as well. The grace of God, it says, verse 1, which was been given in the churches of Macedonia, that in a great deal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. Um, In fact, let me just read a little bit more so we get the the idea. For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord, begging us with much urging for the, literally, grace, favor of participation in the support of the saints. And this, not as we had expected, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. Let me give you my general thought on this, and I think we can have some very interesting discussions. What we see revealed, and as we study chapters 8 and 9, this will come up again and again and again, what the New Testament is saying is this. When God works a work of grace in the hearts of Christians, whoever they may be, regardless of their economic status, when God does a work of grace, that grace causes those Christians to become compassionate toward one another and generous in their willingness to give. And what I think is the problem in much of how Christianity has been practiced in America in the last, I don't know how many years, maybe for a long, long time, is that we get this backwards. In other words, rather than just giving people the means of grace, when people are under the means of grace, God is graciously working in their lives. When God is graciously working in their lives, they become generous. When they become generous, you don't have to try to squeeze money out of them. It would be silly to do so. I so said They begged us for the favor of participation. Because God's grace was at work at Berea, Philippi, and Thessalonica. That's all that we need to do. Now, what we do wrong is take, when it comes to giving, we go back under the Old Covenant law. And some of the most favorite passages that are preached about giving come out of Malachi, which was under the Old Covenant. And so preachers threaten Christians with a curse. If they won't give their money. And so in some ways, we're thwarting the grace of God. And it's showing that we don't really believe that God's grace is effectual, and we don't really believe that if we give people what they need so that God's grace is at work, they will become people that will take do what they're supposed to do, and whatever that might be. They're, they're free to give as they see fit. And... Uh, and so by putting people under Malachi and saying you have to give so much and you have to do it in such a way and you have to give it to such, such a place, otherwise God's going to curse you, it's actually thwarting the whole concept of grace. Does that make sense? So, so if there's anything we know about giving from this, Concentrated section is that the first thing has to be God's grace working in hearts. Okay.
1: I think there is so many, I think there are so many different ways of giving. It's not all financial. I think the most important means of giving is prayer support. And for those who don't have the finances to give, if they're willing to offer their prayer support and they pledge that, I think that's equal. That's just as important, if not more so, because without prayer, there is nothing else.
0: Well, yeah, it does say here they gave themselves to the Lord. One of the things we do when we give ourselves to the Lord is we do pray. But the topic here is giving, so let's go to Romans 12. Please turn with me to. Rom- oh, okay, go ahead.
1: I think that what let me restate what you're saying is that when the Word of God comes and the gospel comes and is preached effectually and is preached clearly, those who receive and believe in the gospel give because they can't help it, because that's the natural response to the gospel mm-hmm. is to give. I think it's very compelling when you go back to the very first message preached and when the church is actually birthed in Acts 2. Peter gets up and preaches. 3,000 people come to God, Yeah. and the very next verse says... And all those believed were together and had all things in common began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. That's the very first action that people are looking at, at these group of people who received the Bible and they receive the scripture. They received them. the gospel. And they, 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 they start yes. subjugating their own, their own means or their own property to the word of God and giving as everybody had need and being generous. Yeah, and
0: without having nobody said to do that. As a matter of fact, it doesn't. It doesn't. That practice didn't continue on. And I've read scholarly material on that that thinks that the reason for the poverty, besides persecution in Judea, they think the reason ultimately they end up in poverty that that really wasn't a good idea. Yeah, because they they got rid of their cap. They were they were getting rid of their capital, and once you get rid of your capital, you have gotten rid of the way of having future income and then you with no capital no future income then the church became dependent on gifts from elsewhere to survive and so that that idea didn't continue on and it wasn't actually commanded by the lord but but you're a good point though it was spontaneous they said what can we do so we'll do this because they wanted to give okay yes uh, I wonder how this fits into the context. This may seem like a funny piece of the puzzle, but when I was reading in Galatians 6 6, it says, Anyone who receives instruction in the word must share all good things with his instructor. I've had trouble trying to fit that in, and how does it. Well, out? Uh, again, it's. Here's, here's what I would say about that. The fact is that if the true gospel has come to you, Paul came in with the true gospel, or. Timothy, whoever had the true gospel, that was ministering to them, Paul's instruction was to take care of the gospel preacher so they could continue to do what they do. That's all. I think it's just very simple. But the sad thing is that people fund the the wolves. Yeah, exactly. Because of poor teaching or not understanding what we're talking about today, people become impoverished by giving all their money to the wolves. (laughs) Because the wolves are pretty good at squeezing the money out of people by promising them, hey, give, give me your money, you'll become rich. or Yeah, or God's going to curse you if you don't give me your money and all that stuff. Yes, uh, Troy. One of the things I've observed
1: uh, 21 years being a Christian is it seems like the further away from uh,
0: the truth the church is, the more they ask for money. And in a church like TCF or a couple other churches I've, I've actually been to that uh, are te- preaching the truth and preaching the word, they don't have to ask for money because the believers will just give uh, abundance yeah. you know abundance People of are heart. generous. They'd, and we also have a figure, we've got elders that know how to deal with it. That is, if you don't have money, then you quit spending it. <laughs> is that right, Dick? <laughs> so, <laughs> instead of going and demanding more money, you say, well, this is what we got, this is what we live with, and this is what we do, and if God works so that there's more then we'll try to use the best thing we can with what we do have okay
1: and just one more thing is i would say that if people are not generous on a consistent basis probably the place to look first isn't the people the place to look first is what's being preached Uh because if the message Uh isn't being preached and the gospel isn't being preached then that grace isn't at work in the people and they won't be generous
0: yeah, as long as there's been Christians who truly, people who are really know the Lord and love the Lord, there's been generosity. In the entire history of the church, I believe that people that know the Lord, without being demanded by anybody from the outside, without being pressured, without being threatened, without being told, uh, no, there's been many abuses to this. Indulgence, that's what started the Reformation an abuse of money. Luther saw the indulgences, you know, trying to buy people out of purgatory so they could build St. Peter's Cathedral. It's an abuse of money. It, and it's, a, it's just the opposite. of It's counterintuitive, and it's the opposite of what you might think. But give people the true gospel. Give them the means of grace. Care for the people. And don't worry about the money people will fund the gospel because that's just what they like to do. They, 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 they beg. Well, what did it say about the Corinthians here? Or I mean the Macedonians. It says, verse 4, begging us with much urging for the grace of participation. They begged Paul that they could participate. So that's spontaneous. Let me show another place where giving is linked to grace. In Romans 12. Starting with verse 6. And not just giving, other things too, other uses of gifts. Giving is just the one that happens to be our topic today. As Cheryl said, there are other things that are important, many other things that are important, but this happens to be our topic because that's what the topic of chapters 8 and 9 is, of 2 Corinthians. Now, chapter 12 says in verse 6, Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Now, the term, you don't see this in the English, but... The terms gifts and grace are related terms. Gifts here is uh, charismatas, where we get our English word charismatic. So it's a gift of grace. Charis is the root word for the, for the grace gifts. And so we have charismatas according to grace that was given. Then it says, let us exercise them accordingly. The prophecy according to the proportion of his faith. Now, that one, I, don't, I, I disagree with the New American Standard Translation here. Uh, it says literally in the Greek, according to the analogy of the faith. I've taught on that elsewhere. The objective content. Prophecy is controlled by the objective content of Scripture. Verse 7, if service in his service. Now, this is all because grace has been given. His teaching in his teaching, because they've received Grace. Or he who exhorts in exhortation because he's received grace. And then here's our topic. He who gives with uh, liberality. Again, not a very good translation. The word could be translated simplicity or sincerity. And probably it has to do with motives. Okay? Not just the idea of liberality, but without any ulterior motives. In other words, you're not giving to buy favor you're not giving so that at the end of the year your name is up on the plaque on the front of who gave the most. Have you ever thought of any practice that was more wrong? I mean, I mean, that is just a horrible practice, listing the names of who gave what and how much. Including people at the bottom with zero, 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 zero. <laughs> I've, I've had people tell me the churches did that. Go quick! Give ten bucks before the annual meeting. (laughs) All right, that's not a good idea. Okay, so with with uh, probably simplicity, meaning without mixed motives, and so on. So here in another important section, Romans six, giving is linked to the reception of grace. Now it's not saying that you have to give to prove that you've received grace. It's saying they did receive grace, and they gave. And that's just what happened. And they did so freely. They did so without being chided. They did so without being threatened by the curse of the law. They did so without any, um, they didn't have any, um, what am I thinking of? Not a lottery. Raffle? They didn't have a raffle. Raffle? <laughs> Mr. Madrid, <laughs> no bingo. Pledge <laughs> cards. Okay. What you're,
1: what you're discussing here now is, is, is parallel, isn't that parallel to saving, uh, being saved by faith alone and then works, it comes as a result of the
0: saving yeah. grace. Right. And giving is a result of the saving grace. Yeah, that's true. You know, and, uh, everything that's good and beneficial is always by grace. We're saved by grace through faith, we grow by grace through faith. And so that's why we need to really get a hold of this concept of the means of grace. By the way, as long as we've got most people here, let me give you a little advertisement of something we're going to do. Somebody asked me a really good question the other day. They said, in what regard is the Lord's Supper a means of grace, and why do you use the term means of grace, and what does that have to do with the Lord's Supper? Great question. So I'm going to answer it on August 3rd. No. Uh, I, I thought it was such a good question. And then the same week, I got an email from somebody who'd been into a liturgical church, and was wondering that, that believes somewhat different than we do. That talks about sacraments, and they said, "Well, what's this? What's a sacrament, and how does that work? And what do you believe about it?" So this is topic keeps coming up: baptism, the Lord's supper, means of grace, uh, so on and so forth. So. Um, August 3rd, which is the day we're going to baptize people, and we're going to have a baptism down at Northwestern College after the service. But for that Sunday school, Ryan's going to join me, and the two of us are going to lead a teaching-slash-discussion on things called about means of grace, and we're going to talk about the different views in church history. We're going to talk about the Catholic view of sacraments. We're going to talk about the Lutheran view of sacraments. We're going to talk about the Reformed view of sacraments, and then we're going to tell you what the truth is. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Our view. Well, no. uh, well, I don't want to be so bold. What's that? One hour. One hour. <laughs> one hour. Okay. Yeah, I don't know if we can do it in one hour. But I, want to, but I think that we should at least spell out some historical theological territory and discuss what we believe about it and Why? And why I decided to use the term, it took me years to decide whether I'd even use the terminology means of grace. Because for some people, that rings the bell of sacerdotalism and sacramentalism and so on. But I could not find any better term, and uh, I decided to use terms that were already in theology and then define them the best we can rather than try to invent a new term. And the reason I needed this concept is to fight spiritual disciplines, and spiritual formation. Okay, We're trying to create a wall against false practices entering the church by defining what the true practices are, what they are, why they are, and how God uses them. So that discussion will be uh, Sunday morning at 9 o'clock on August 3rd because it will be a good time to go over the idea because we're going to have a baptism that day. And, and if we can't get it all done in one hour, we'll set another time maybe in a month later because I can only get Ryan down here because I have to borrow him from the music ministry and Jim doesn't like losing him very often. So um, that's going to be the topic. Now, the, the short answer is what has God ordained? That's what's important. And that's why I choose to call the Lord's Supper an ordinance rather than a sacrament. Because the sacrament is sort of, I know what people mean by it, but it's hard to get it away from the Catholic idea by the work done. You do the work, it doesn't matter if the person administering it is wicked, it doesn't matter if you're wicked, but if you do the work, you get some good out of it. So go to Mass. We'll talk about that. Okay, go ahead.
1: I was just going to say one more thing on the, the giving because... Well, we're, you're staking out a territory in what this is saying. Also, what it isn't saying is that Paul never says, by giving, you obtain this. No, yeah, that's so it's just the opposite. It, so yeah. if, if you give, you get out of the curse, or if you give, I went to uh, uh, a Christian school that preached seed faith. So if you give, it's like planting a seed and you're get a, getting a hundred times more. So the motivation to give was greed. Yeah. And... This is the opposite of greed. The motivation yeah. to give is generosity, not so I can get more. So there's yeah. no ulterior motive in it. Yeah. The whole seed faith concept is without sincerity. The whole seed faith concept is against the it, Romans thing because yeah. I have a, a greedy motive to, to buy off God or something. So mm-hmm. there's nothing in here that says give so that you can. It's just give because you
0: are. Yeah. And it, the only thing is there's a I got to pick one of it. The only thing is that there's a promise that God cares for us, however He does. Later on, it talks about providing seed for the sower. We'll talk about that when we get to it. But uh, the whole point is, God is the gracious giver. God is the gracious giver, and He gave to us not because we came with something He needed, not because we took some action that forced Him to, because salvation is by grace alone. God graciously saved us because god is a gracious god and he shows mercy to sinners did you ever come across uh in your background we we've often talked about the errors that we've fallen into this declared as being the gifting do you have this gift one two three four five six seven eight nine whatever oh in in romans 12 yep well but they would take this one he who gives with liberality the concept being that maybe that's your gift you're supposed to go make a lot of money so you can give. Okay, yeah. So take the charismata list and say, well, that applies to some and not to others. I don't know. Some people even have tests that they give you to figure out what it is. The shape program, I think they have something like that. I would, I would suggest this. I don't believe in programs that, to study self. Okay, it, self is the most wretched. Type of study anybody ever does. Okay, in fact, it's not even a good topic. <laughs> All right, self. So, Paul says we don't preach ourselves. I believe that God does give gifts, and some people are particularly gifted in certain ways. But I don't think that there's these little boxes. Okay, you're the giver, and you're the prophesier, and you're the uh, servant, and you're the administrator, and then you do that, and we're but this is a union shop. No offense. But you better not be caught, if you're a plumber, you better not be pl- caught uh, putting a fuse in a fuse box, because so that's the electrician's job. The church isn't, a, isn't like that, okay? So I think there's spillover, and, but there are people that are specifically like to do certain things. All, how do you find out about that? You don't do a self-evaluating test Say I'm this, 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 and this. You show up at church and you joyfully serve the Lord, and you'll end up finding out how God's going to use you. That's all you got to do. There's no more required of that. There's no, uh, you know, you don't have to go take a MMPI or uh, Myers-Briggs or something to figure out who you are. Okay, Cheryl, you wanted to ask something?
1: What did Jesus mean when he said, Give, and it shall be given unto you. pressed down, shaken together, and running over shall men give into your bosom.
0: If that's in Luke, I will be preaching on it. I think it is. Isn't that in Luke? Okay, I haven't got to that one yet. (laughs) But I do believe that... I'm not denying that God doesn't promise blessings for Christians in many different ways, including blessing givers. How? That's up to God. But we're warned to do things with sincerity and not alter your motives. So, if we give, we give. We had the joy of giving. It's all we need. We got the joy of participating in God's church. The great attitude is I can't believe that they would allow me even in to this family of God. How can somebody like me be a part of the family of God? That is a great attitude to always come with. And, and so these Macedonians had a great attitude. They, they begged for the favor let me participate. If you let me participate, I'll be very happy. That's what happens when God's grace is working in the hearts of Christians. They want to participate. You don't have to pull teeth and you don't have to threaten and you don't have to create programs. Just allow people to serve. Yes.
1: I think well, you could be saying it this way. No, no uh, sincere believer in the Lord ever seeks blessings of God. They just naturally come. They're not, <laughs> they're not gonna, we're not going to be looking around, oh, what am I going to get from
0: God for doing this? Yeah. They'll come. We believe that they'll come. But. Yeah, well, we, we seek God. We see God. God is the one who blesses, but we see God. Okay, let's go through our verse here, make sure we expound it. I don't want to miss anything here. So starting with verse 1. I gave you the overview, so now the rest of it, we know what category to put it in. God gives grace. When people receive grace, they become generous and they beg to participate in whatever, whatever way they can. Which one of the ways Paul's talking about is giving here. Carus is grace which has been given. That's a perfect passive participle. That's the divine passive. You've heard me talk about that a lot. Many times when God is the one who gives, it just simply says, I received grace. Grace was given to me. The implied giver is God. That's the divine passive. It was given in the churches of Macedonia, as I said, Philippi, Thessalonica, and Berea. And there may have been others that aren't, Mentioned in Acts, never take um, Acts to be an exhaustive description of every single thing that happened during that period of history. It, is, it doesn't claim to be that. Okay, Paul talks about travels throughout Iconian, what have you. There's many places he went and preached. that There's nothing written about in Acts, but we know that Paul preached throughout the area there, and God was using. Uh, the gospel to s- establish churches cross-references where should we start here Lawrence could you look up acts 11:20 20 through 24 and Dale 2 Corinthians 6-1 and Michelle Ephesians 3-8 and we've already gone through the passage in Romans 12 about grace that was given the more I study the more I see the centrality of grace as an important doctrine in the New Testament, it's absolutely true, and the solas of the Reformation are so important. Grace alone. As soon as you take grace and add something to it, you're not dealing with grace as it's understood in the New Testament. Grace has not only with sanctification, and here we're talking about giving, we, we, obviously in salvation and i think too many times we are sort of we're naturally synergists okay synergism is the default position that you end up with if you haven't really been taught synergism is uh, if god and i work together god tries to do his part but if his part is just stands alone nothing happens if i try to do my part that nothing happens, but if you take it, it's like epoxy. This is, this is what synergism is like. It's like epoxy, right? If the one part stays in this bottle, it stays hardener. And if the other part stays in this bottle, it stays resin. There, But if you mix the two together, it turns into a, a very, very strong glue. So synergism says that's the way it is with God and man. We do our part and add it to maybe ours, is, maybe it's a real strong hardener, so ours is only 1%. And God has the 99% resin, and we stick our little drop in there. But have you ever seen epoxy where you put one drop and it'll harden the whole can? Absolutely. Bondo. <laughs> or, yeah, I love epoxy, it's good stuff. Um, but it's not good stuff in your theology. <laughs> it's really bad for theology, good for fixing a car fender. Grace alone. Sola Gratia means God does it all. Now, get you primed for August 3rd, when we talk about means of grace, we're not talking about us adding our part to God's 99% so that what God has will actually work. We're talking about what God ordained for us to do in faith. Because grace alone, it has a sister doctrine, faith alone. Okay. And so if God says sit under the teaching of the Bible as newborn babes in Christ desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby, God who has done great a gracious work in saving you is giving us an ordained means whereby he says I'm going to meet you this way. I'm going to meet you this way. Okay? So you're the baby. I saved you. Sit under the Word and you will grow. Now, our sitting under the Word isn't to be considered something we added to God. It's just simply following in faith what God said, how He's going to meet us. The work that He does do through the Word is a work of grace that God does. And... Um, and what's ordained is the key thing. It's absolutely key, absolutely key. That's why you stay away from these spiritual disciplines that man makes up. I would say this: if God, what, what are the things? The Uman, and Thuman. How do you say that? Uerman, ermen and Thuman. The 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 im, im. I am. Yeah, that's plural Hebrew. W- they were ordained by God. Why is why are the yeah, Keith knows more about this than I do? I'm gonna take that back. So I'm gonna frustrate you here. <laughs> but keep that verse. <laughs> the the
1: the means of grace or the means that God spoke to His people and chose to spoke to His to speak to His people have evolved over time. There's certain times and certain areas that God has allowed or to, to dictated means saying, this is how I'm going to lead you or how I'm going to give guidance. One of those means of guidance, when he came out of Egypt, and sitting in front of Sinai, coming the whole mountain is smoking, Say, this is what I'm going to do and this is what I ordain, is to give the priest, the Urim and the Thummim, have him in his ephod, so that if you wanted to inquire of God, it was legal to go to the priest, yeah. take the, he would take the Urim and the Thummim, we don't even know what they look like, and through the... Urim and the Thummim, God would speak and give guidance, and it was legal. You couldn't go to another priest, or you couldn't make your own Urim and Thummim and say so you can yeah. bootleg this. If
0: you did anything else, it would be divination. It's divination. The only re- and that would be, if you looked at that practice, you would say, well, it's divination, because that's how, it's just a means of divination, but the reason it wasn't, was because God ordained it. It is
1: divination in the fact that we're, div- we're divining, we're, we're finding out what God's guidance is, but it's a legal form because it's right in the word in black and white. In the same way, the means of grace have evolved over time because at the time of Noah, the means of grace that were established by God was a sacrifice. You still had faith alone. You're still saved by faith alone. Exactly. But the means of coming by faith, the means of expressing your faith was an animal sacrifice that isn't legal anymore. The animal sacrifice has been superseded by Christ. Jesus right. Christ. And right. we have the perfect sacrifice right. that if we go back to the animal sacrifice, we're saying no to the means of grace that's legal yeah, now.
0: Exactly. That's it. And when I'm going to be speaking at Gary Gilley's church in October at a conference on sola scriptura, we're going to talk about all of this, and then he's coming here in November to speak at our church on the same topic. So we're going to sort of trade preachers around. Uh, for <laughs> so we're going to hear me and Gary Gailey talk on this topic. But the whole so when we're so when we're talking about means of grace, or we're talking about ordinances. So why would God meet us through the Lord's Supper? If you, you could say, "Well, I'm eating bread and I'm..." Drinking wine, how exactly? Why would God, what's so special about that? It would not be special had God not ordained it. Okay? That, that, that's what we've got to get through our mind. Uh, if God was still ordaining uh, ermine and thummon, we could do it now, and God would meet us. But He hasn't, and if we tried to do it, it would be divination, and it's forbidden, and it would be occult. The difference between divination and God meeting us by his means is what he ordained. So why does God meet someone through baptism? Because Christ ordained it. Why does God meet someone through the Lord's Supper? Because Christ ordained it. Why does God meet us in prayer at the throne of grace? Because it's ordained under the terms of the new covenant that we go to the throne of grace where we find grace to help in times of need. Now, Dallas Willard says, no, you should practice solitude. In fact, Willard says, the most important of all spiritual disciplines is solitude. And you can't meet God if you're not in solitude. And I've quoted him to that end. Not at least, not the way you should. Not, not as good as you should. Solitude is the thing. Dallas Willard is a practicer of divination. Divination. I'll tell you why. Because if, if Jesus said, go and sit in solitude, and that's where I'm going to meet you, and he commanded it to the church, then it would be an ordinance. And then if I went out and sat in solitude and said, okay, God, now you're going to talk to me. If Jesus would have ordained it, then it would be illegal to do, and he'd meet us there. But he did not. And Dallas Willard admits that he did not. But he said, but these, these people in the Middle Ages tried it, and it works. Well, so does water witching, and so does a lot of things. So does the Ouija board. Now, well, see, no, I, I'm getting ahead of myself. That's for August 3rd. Okay. <laughs> well, now you, now, but see, it's good to get your mind thinking along this thing, so when you come on August 3rd, you'll have the right questions. Okay, now your verse. Okay. Okay. Acts
1: 20, I'm sorry,
0: Acts 11. 20. The verse is Acts 11, 20 to 24. 24, yep.
1: But some of them were men from Cyprus and Cyrene, who, when they had come to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned to the Lord. Then news of these things came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent out Arnabas to go as far as Antioch. When he came and he had seen the grace of God, he was glad, and encouraged them with all that with purpose of heart that they should continue with the Lord.
0: Yeah, notice it says he came and he saw the grace of God. How do you see grace? as an intangible quality. Yeah. The way you see grace is when you see people respond to the gospel and serve God with joy and open their hearts to the word wanting to learn. That's how you visibly see grace. You see it as it affects people in their lives. This is the most revolutionary idea, uh, for me in the, well, I've been, the first sermon I ever preached was in the early 70s, so I've been preaching for a long time. And for, for years, I did not understand this. For years, I was a synergist. And for years, my preaching was, well, if God's going to do his part, man's going to do his part, there's no use preaching about God's part, because we can count on God to do that, so all I'm going to preach on is man's part. And I, was pre- and I didn't believe, know I was doing this, but for all those years, I was preaching works. Do this, do this, do this, do this. Come on, use your willpower. You know, And, and it was ineffectual. It was literally ineffectual. And what work God did do was because people actually found the gospel in the midst of all the confused synergism. But in in 1986, God graciously opened my eyes through the book of Romans to the fact that God's part is the whole part. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, sine qua non. I must have got the pronouncement right because I didn't get any emails correcting me. Uh, (laughs) Okay. Sine qua non, without which not. <laughs> okay, And then, knowing that, it's like, wow, this is, this is so much better. And, and, and the results in people's lives are so much more powerful and life-changing because they're not laboring under this works idea. And, they're, and the means of grace do what God says they will, and so just teach the word. Well, why do you teach the Bible and teach the Bible and teach the Bible? Because that is how God's grace works. Okay? That's how his part, the 100% part, actually works. And uh, it's revolutionary. And so my friend uh, out in California is going to interview me on his radio show, and he wants to talk about, spirit, about mysticism and spiritual disciplines and why I don't like it. And so he was asking me ahead of time before the interview, and I said... Uh, well, we've got to talk about means of grace. The only way to fight mysticism is through means of grace. He says, wow, you sound like a confessional Lutheran. My friend is a Missouri Synod Lutheran. Well, I said, you better not ask me about baptism then. We might have a problem. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to part company. He says, we'll stay away from that one. <laughs> okay, Dale. What passage is it? 2 Corinthians six one. i I'll start
1: with the last sentence and a half of chapter five we beg you on behalf of christ be reconciled to god he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of god in him and working together with him we also urge you not to receive the grace of god in vain
0: yeah so paul's working together in the sense of providing a means of grace what paul was doing was preaching the gospel preaching the truth to them okay Paul, I've mentioned this one before, but that passage in 1 Corinthians 15, where Paul says, by the grace of God I am what I am. So he's giving it all to God's grace. But he says, but I labored harder than them all. But lest we think he became a synergist, he says, but not I, but the grace of God in me. (laughs) Okay, so knowing how God's grace works in people's lives, Paul labored hard to proclaim the gospel and to teach the word so that God would do what he does in these churches. Okay, the next passage was uh, Ephesians
1: 3.8. To me, the very least of all saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable, unfathomable riches of Christ.
0: Yeah, amen. Yeah, what, a, what a wonderful grace given to preach the unfathomable riches of Christ. Um, I have a quote here from Barnett. No, this is Garland. It is interesting that Paul understands that God's grace does not lighten the Macedonians' afflictions, nor remove their deep poverty. Instead, it opens their hearts and their purse strings to others. He's not trying to raise a larger amount by inciting competition between churches to see who can raise the most. If the Corinthians want to compete with the Macedonians, they should compete for the most joyful and willing attitude, not over the amount of money contributed. See, what what Paul wanted to see emulated in Corinth is their joy, another theme in here, and their grace, and what they contribute, they contribute. It's not a fundraising scheme. You know, uh, is there ever appropriate for a fundraising scheme in a church? Maybe the term scheme should never come into it. (laughs) This has got bad... Oh, did you see today's paper? The apostles in the paper over in Forest Lake? (laughs) Huh? Roger? Mitkin or somebody?
1: Mitkiff.
0: Newland Mitkiff. Mitkiff. $30 million he built from Christians. Uh telling them that if they gave, they were, they were investing and they were going to get 7% a month on their money. And it was a Ponzi scheme. And t- toward the end, people were turning in. They, they talked about people gave $100,000, 60000 wiped out every, all of their assets. They'd saved all their lives. All gone. All gone. And, and, and when, he, when they made the investment, at the end they were getting a letter back saying thank you for your donation. And he was doing this in the name of God as an apostle in a church. Bob, we sat in a meeting another friend of mine from Forest Lake. Uh, Roger is a Forest Lake person who probably... We sat in it. a meeting with Newland and his wife. Their daughter had become involved with a young man from our former church, and we were doing what we could to show this fellow that these people were not speaking the truth. And I said, Newland have you ever heard of anybody in this area who calls himself an apostle? Oh, no, no. And I asked his wife. She calls herself a prophetess and teaches women to prophesy. We knew this from interviewing people who went to that church. And she said, I said, do you know any prophetess in this area? No, no. But they did tell us there were actually 25 apostles in the New Testament. Okay, so anyhow, uh, never ever, uh, let me save you a whole lot of money. <laughs> OK, uh, Don't give money to somebody who claims you're a Christian that's going to get you way more interest than the prevailing rates that you can get at the bank. Never do it. You will always lose your money. It will take wings and it will fly away. And it will not help the gospel, and it won't make you closer to God. Don't do it. If I know it's pretty pathetic. You put your money in a bank, and they give you 2%. Okay. That's the world we're living in right now. No Christian has some angle that's going to change that. Yes? Maybe
1: one more cross-reference on this is 1 John 3, 15. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. So the contrast is between murder and eternal life. We know, love by this, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Mm -hmm. So we have Jesus as example Mm -hmm. there in the very next verse. But whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? So it's the same concept. Wow, and that's a it, good. It goes, with the, it goes with the gospel first, and if this is what God has poured out to you, and you don't and you refuse to pour it out to your your brother who's in need, then how does the love of God abide in you? And it asks it even as a question, not as a command.
0: Okay. Yeah, that's an interesting. So again, you see the work of God as a gracious work by what happens in people, and Christians when they receive grace, they take care of each other. That's just what they do. When do they do that? Well, they've been doing it since the book of Acts. And it's just what it looks like. So it gets real simple. It gets so simple. Isn't, it, isn't the truth simpler than all the air? Okay. You feed people the pure milk of the word. Give them the truth. And allow them to serve as the Lord is at work. And people will be generous. And the needs of various Christians will be taken care of. And the needs of the church will be taken care of. And you just continue to preach the gospel. You don't need any scheme. You don't need any curses and uh, strange ideas that if you give, God is obligated to give you a hundredfold return. Anybody ever try that? You don't have to put your hand. Okay. Go ahead, I just Rob. wanted
1: to mention one more verse that uh, talks about the ultimate expression of God's grace, and it's found in Titus chapter 2, verse 11 through 14. It says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that, Denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good
0: works. Yeah. So the good works are the result of the work of grace because God puts a zeal for them. Now, now we've got about two minutes here. I'll, we'll start on verse 2 the next time. But the, the key idea is pretty easy. It starts with grace, and then what the result of grace is generous, loving, compassionate Christians who care for one another, who step forward to take care of the needs of other Christians, and of the church, and they do so freely because God's grace is at work and nothing more needs to be done. Other than, and we'll get into this, Paul talks about administrating what is given in a proper way so that no disrepute will come to the church. And we'll talk about that later when we get further into 2 Corinthians chapter 8-9. and 9. And as I said, August 3rd, you're invited to a discussion about means of grace God bless you. We'll see you upstairs at 1030.